This week on Cinematic Pig's Feet, Phantom of the Paradise. Hello everyone, this is John Robinson along with my ever faithful and basically the rock upon which this podcast is built, co-host Lynn Jones. <laughs> Hello everyone. So... This week we watched Phantom of the Paradise. With oh, and it was fun. <laughs> we deserved a fun movie, didn't we? Yes, we did. We did indeed. Now, one of the most interesting things about this movie, of uh, the many interesting things about this movie, is it was directed by Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma is not known for directing uh, stylistic thumbnails. Um, he's mostly known for directing your top thrillers and and stuff like that. Uh, just this some of his really. Oh yeah. Uh, here's some of the movies that he has done. He's done Carlito's Way. He's done Scarface, The Untouchables, Wise Guy, Bonfire, The Bit Bandits, uh, Mission Impossible. Uh, oh wow. The Black Dog. Uh, yeah, these are all, if not you know, social realist movies, still very heavy, suspenseful movies. And then we have this one with a guy wearing a silver crow mask and black and black tights. And the devil. <laughs> it does seem a departure. I wonder why he chose it. Well, only his second movie uh, after he did it big. As far as I can tell, uh, most like his first eight or nine features were all independent stuff. Then he hit it big with a film called Sisters, and this was the uh-huh. second one after that. And it was the 70s, 1974, in fact, which helps explain so many things. <laughs> you could uh, name <laughs> any weird thing of the past or future and just say, yeah, the 70s, and that usually fulfills all of it. Um, so, wow. yes. I thought the thing was... Uh... Paul Williams, just in general, in life. I thought that was a weird thing about this movie. You know, I loved the Rainbow Connection. Mm-hmm. Love that song. That is an awesome song. It is an awesome song, yes. And he played Swan, but he did all the music and um, words for this thing, which was just, just amazing. Just <laughs> freaking amazing. Not the Rainbow Connection, as you know it. Yeah. I mean, he... Paul Williams has done a lot. Uh, he is a songwriter who's written for all these big people. He's a voice actor because uh, he has a very distinctive voice. He was the pink does. on Batman the Animated Series, which was a pretty interesting thing. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of where I know him from. Uh, but yeah. Did you know he's still alive? Yes. I'm just kidding. I saw his documentary, Paul Williams Still Alive, and I thought it was, what a funny thing to say to a person. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're still alive! <laughs> yeah, he's still alive and, like, touring in Korea and whatever the hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he's in recovery now, which is awesome. So all those drug references would have been a part of the past, as the 70s is. Yes. No, fun movie. Really, really fun. Uh, so let, let's let's get into this. Um we start out with sort of a, uh, this is Rod Sterling, by the way, giving the voiceover. 
No way. Yep, Rod Sterling gave the voice. Oh, I didn't even catch that. I love that guy. <laughs> Explaining how uh, Swan is this child prodigy in music. He got his gold, first gold record is like five or nine, and he's had so many that he's trying to uh, storm in Fort Knox, which is a very 70s joke. Uh, <sighs> so basically... Uh, uh, establishing that he is this wonderkin and he is starting a new uh, project, this rock palace called the Paradise. Yes. Have you ever been to a rock and roll palace? I've never been to a rock and roll palace. I, I'm not sure what to, what to compare them to, but evidently they were a thing. Not even one. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine what that would be like. Man. I never thought about it before, but suddenly I feel like I'm really missing out. <laughs> Damn. <All right. laughs> so, so yeah, and that's his new um, that's his new venture. And for a soft voiced, um, I'm assuming soft handed. What I don't know what would we call him. He's like an archetype. He plays a, a total archetype, somewhere between James Bond villain and. I don't know who's the evil producer in that movie with um, uh, Travolta. I don't know. Anyway, a bad guy that's into uh, a bad guy that's, that's into the. Arts. I don't know. Yeah, he, he plays he plays decadence. That's what he is. He is decadence personified. Y yeah, but it, it's not like wow, that's decadence. More like wow, that's really lame. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the the. The style of it all is decadence, like fake, like really fake. For example, um, we open on his newest, like sensation, which is um, the Juicy Fruits mm -hmm. playing a song, and he's like this gloved hand way up in the rafters that you know oversees everything. And the Juicy Fruits are like, you know, even he's saying about his own band, like, ah, oh, these guys are done. We need the next big thing. And was, but he's at the top of the charts, like whatever, for now. But I'm looking to the future. Anyway, behind the Juicy Fruits, you see their like label, their the name of the band across the wall, and it looks like a twelve year old did it, but it's all like scripted with lights on it. It's like what? It's lame, man. Lame decadence. That's what he well embodies. This was the the whole nostalgia thing. They mentioned the voiceover. That was mm -hmm. a very real thing in the seventies. This is the era of Greece. This is this the the fifties were very big in the seventies. So there were a lot of uh, bands that imitated the whole greaser aspect, like the Juicy Fruits did. That, that deliberately sort of camp way of redoing the Beach Boys and stuff like that. That was a definite real thing that they were parroting. I mean, it wasn't quite to that extent where they were incorporating obscene gestures into their dance moves like they, the Juicy Fruits were doing, but that was definitely a thing that they were uh, taking off of. It wasn't like they invented that for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um... So while while they're while this group is singing where like in the group they reenact the story, right? Like like straight up with about a kid whose mom is like sleeps around and there's the kid has a sister and this this guy is like, Alright, well I'm gonna make a top selling record to save my sister's life because she needs an operation and he makes this song and then he kills himself because 
because you know you die young, you die famous, mm-hmm. and that's that's what he the, the ultimate sacrifice, which is a phrase that's used in heavy rotation for the rest of the film. Yes, yeah, there's a very very big sacrifice theme throughout the entire film, definitely. Um, and then we the whole movie is nothing but themes. The whole <laughs> movie is nothing but themes. It's like I don't know. There's an expression that is not really coming to my mind right now, but it's like if you rip off one thing, you're a thief. But if you rip off 30 things and bunch them all together, it's an homage. Right. I counted like uh, 10, 10 themes mm-hmm. that they just took. The least of which not being the fan of the opera, the chords are freaking in the rock song. How is that not an infringement? Because it's an homage. <laughs> but yeah, like the whole movie is there's nothing really original in it. Well, it's a it's a remix. I mean, that's what it is. It's it, we we currently live in the age of remix. So, I mean, this is just ahead of its time. They took um, all these themes and they redid them in a pop rock way. Uh, which, I mean, how many times has the story of the Iliad been told over and over again? I'm okay with that. Uh, so we have our hero, quote unquote hero, uh, Winslow Leach, who has written uh, this uh, cantata about faust and he's sort of they're evidently um they're they're doing auditions i think for acts of play at the paradise and he's he crashes the party and he brings his uh his uh what's we're doing piano he brings his piano in there he starts singing and this entrances swan because he loves that music so he sends his um heavy uh philbin Played by <laughs> like a play on words. Yes. Nice. <laughs> uh, like played by George uh, Mamoli uh, to basically steal uh, Winslow's music, and we find out in this little exchange that a Winslow is a true artist. He is not. It uh, doesn't worry about money or stuff like that. All he wants to do is sing his cantata, and he's the only one who can sing it, and he is. Also, we find out he has a bit of a temper and is violent when he thinks that the Juicy Fruits, a band he despises, might sing it. He doesn't want that. No, only he can sing the song. Uh, so Yeah, there's a problem with this guy being a performer, though. And Swan was, I thought he was actually quite keen at picking this up. <laughs> <laughs> when he, he said that he would take the music but leave the composer. Because that the guy that like the character Winslow Leach is just as off-putting before as he is as a disfigured phantom of the paradise. <laughs> I play, I heard him play. I thought the song was nice. I thought he was, no, I would not give you top billing, dude. You, uh, just off-putting. Something about the spasms, something about the Coke bottle glasses, something about the hair. So, you know, no, it's just like pick a thing, and it's like all comes together, and you think mm, no. <laughs> so yes, one keen for the bad guy. Um, so Death Records says that Leech is never to be seen. Like they they take a sentence like no, we don't want him, and turn it into something much more menacing, as in, in he is never to be seen. What's that? In Gothic script, as long as they could have written out a post. Yes. He shall never be seen. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. They take sentences and put it in Gothic script. Exactly. Um, 
Oh, so, I should mention just uh, for people following along, Death Records is the name of Swan's uh, label, which only puts out his stuff and the Juicy Fruits. And its its logo is basically a dead bird uh, on its back, mm -hmm. which, okay. Which I'd buy a Death Record. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so next we see a church with a whole bunch of line, like, lines of women with shrill voices auditioning. Was that a and church? He meets, I saw a church. I, I saw it and I said, huh, that is most certainly a church. But I think they were, I think it was a church and in filming they were deciding to call it Swanage. Okay, so it, it was, it was, it was, it was supposed to be his mansion, but the mansion was a yeah. church. Okay. Yes. And, um, and he meets his Christine, his Pygmalion, his, you know, just like pick any, his little mermaid. Anyway. Um, well, actually, I can give and, you much more. Uh, let's see. Phantom Opera. Christine. It's his Christine. That's who it is. Yes, his Christine, his Little Mermaid, his Pygmalion. I gotcha. I gotcha. I'm all up on this. Um, <laughs> you see, the Christine, because um, the Phantom of the Opera, of course, fell in love with her, molded her into the big star that she was, and then fell in love with her. Pygmalion was that myth where a dude falls in love with this statue so much, like he makes a statue and then he falls in love with it and then turns it into what it should have been that was worthy of love. And then the Little Mermaid, because they want her voice, and they take her voice, and all this stuff. Anyway. Uh, just uh, um, all because I, I love being a know-it-all, uh, with the whole Pygmalion thing, the guys... Yes, yes, yes. The guy's name is Pygmalion. The uh, statue slash woman's name is actually Galatea. That is the word that I could not think of. You know, Google doesn't work if you can't think of the word. <laughs> could... But that's the word I couldn't think of. Um, so that's where he meets Jessica Harper, who goes by the name Phoenix. Yes, who we first seen uh, in Shock Treatment. And we really liked her. Yes. I, know, I really liked her. As did I. She was cool. Um, in this one, though, I don't know. I could have. I don't know. She she didn't shine in this one like she did in the other one. She played the same character, like naive and wonderfully gifted for no particular reason. And I don't know. She could do a good it, right? dance just about better than anyone, with the possible exception of Beef. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he hears her humming, and for that inexplicable thing, that is Jessica Harper. He says, oh, my gosh, you're the one. And, <laughs> and um, she's trying out to be a chorus girl, but he just, he loves. Well, no, 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 he's not. No, 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 she's not. That's the thing. That's the betrayal that I don't know if ever get. Um, Swan is basically recasting Faust with a female lead. Now, but these. Winslow thinks that they're trying out being the chorus because he's still under the impression that he's going to sing the lead because he can't imagine anyone else not singing the lead. He isn't caught on that Swan is basically stealing it from him. Yeah. Yeah, he's really slow. <laughs> I thought the addition is just like one line of gangbanging and um, a very, she doesn't feel like Yeah, a very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Assembly line. Yeah, it was gross. And um, and 
but meanwhile, the the composer, which is how he talks of himself, I'm the composer, the composer, again, in the special font that is this movie, um, the composer is escorted out in the way of having the shit beaten out of him. And then the police come. What are you, a pervert? But that was ancillary because they're going to frame him for having a condom of blow in his purse. Anyway, wait, am I jumping ahead? Uh... Yeah, I am. <laughs> sorry yeah well the in addition okay so the second round of auditions for these women is to be on a round waterbed with silk sheets with like a dozen girls in slips mm-hmm. because swan likes to watch them do each other and leech like dresses up as a girl somehow makes it you know oh, past this yes. round of auditions to the second round where it finds him and a whole bunch of horny um auditionees in a waterbed with each other. And um, that's 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 when um, Swan, you know, catches on. So he then he's escorted out and framed for having drugs. And he goes to Sing Sing. Well, this uh, is the beginning of what I find very interesting. Um, there is a certain strain of movies in the 70s that are very lascivious, lascivious, but also rather conservative. I think this movie belongs to that because yes, it's uh, it's got a lot of titillating stuff in it, but it's always presented negatively. It's always presented as perversion, as something that the bad guys do or the bad guys indulge in, which is one of the reasons why they're bad guys. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I can. I guess I can see that because it would be very. If you made this movie today, of the many, many things you'd have to change, you couldn't have a scene where you had lesbianism implied and had it implied that it was only something that decadent uh, people did. You, I, oh. you couldn't have that yeah. scene today. I, think, I don't think you should have that scene today. But you can have it in this sort of thing because back in the 70s, uh, it was still out there. I mean, I, right. I, I'm, I'm not sure what the equivalent would be today. Maybe furries. I don't know. But... <laughs> <laughs> that would be a weird movie. That sounds like a pig's fun. I've never heard of one. But yeah. <laughs> oh my. Absolutely. Um, and drugs are always, at least in this movie, are always synonymous with sin. Uh, the drugs are either done by the unworthy or given to the quote-unquote hero by uh, the bad guys as a way of keeping him under control. Which, I mean, uh, your mileage on drugs may vary, but they're never presented... I mean, there's never just, like, smoking weed. It's always evil drugs, which blow and uppers and downers and stuff like that. It's Right, yeah. Or giving them to the lead woman so that she signs her life away in a contract, or, yeah, okay. So yeah, it's they served a serious purpose in the film. <laughs> so um, at this point, he gets found out on the waterbed full of lesbians and is thrown out, beaten up, put in drag, and then framed to be a drug dealer, and which gets him sent to Sing Sing, how appropriate, at which point he is forced to have all his teeth uh, taken out due to a uh hygiene programs uh that spawn that's i'm sorry that swan is sponsoring for the prison 
So yeah, well, full rehabilitation was a, a special swan thing. So there were always prisoners coming in for the swan program. So he was not the only one, you know, that you're supposed to have understood that has been ripped off. There's like a whole bunch of men who need to be, you know, shall never sing again mm-hmm. in, in this prison. Um, yeah, so their teeth are pulled out and they're like, you know, broken and they package tiddlywinks, which I thought was a lovely touch <laughs> as their prison job. But you hear over the radio that, you know, there's another addition to the Swan Rehabilitation Program. And there's a commercial that says that um, Faust will be premiering in in the, what is it called? The Paradise. Yes. Which drives uh, Winslow into a rage, uh, which evidently makes it remarkably easy to escape from uh, prison if you're in a rage. He bowls over a couple of guards and escapes down a chute and gets out of the prison packaged up in a tiddlywinks uh, box and finds himself in the streets of uh, New York City or whatever city they're supposed to be in. And and. and rage he he just rages on to uh breaking the heck into the dead bird studios mm-hmm. what were they called <laughs> the studios the studios he breaks into the death records and he's just he's gonna do something i don't know what his end game was was well, but it didn't go so hot he had What's that? dynamite yes he had dynamite where he got that i yeah. missed that was a bit of a puzzler for me as well uh maybe I know. I can't even give you a jokey reason why the dude had dynamite. (laughs) No, he had it stuffed out his shirt pocket, and you think, huh, well, if you had that, did you really need to go down the chute? (laughs) But but no, it's just, it was was in his shirt, and so he pulls it out, and he's going to do something. Um, What his endgame was, I'm, I'm not sure, but he did have dynamite, and, um, but the, it, he doesn't get to use it because he gets his head caught in a record press. Which is a nicely, <laughs> uh, nicely gothic and ironic uh, for this type of story. That was, I like that, uh, that bit. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know if you can call this movie gothic. Oh, it's very gothic. I mean, it's neon, but it has all the gothic tropes. It has the heroine who's constantly in danger. It has the uh, tragic, misunderstood, monstrous hero and the monstrous villain. It has the sense of unease that pervades the entire thing. It's very gothic. Yeah, but... Like the whole, I didn't see the um, play of good versus evil where, no, okay, all right, you are absolutely right, this is a gothic film, man, all right. (laughs) Well, in true gothic whateverness, he is horribly disfigured and uh, declared dead. So he stumbles around for quite a while. I thought that scene could have been cut short. He stumbles around breathing heavily before he finally finds a mask a cape, and a time bomb well, to go with his dynamite, or whatever. Yes, okay, yes, yes. Yeah. Then he goes back to the paradise, and uh, they are now going to do Faust as Beach Boys, which was interesting. Uh, <laughs> very, very 
interesting and really distracting. At this point, they, they sing a song because we never mentioned that this was a musical. Hey, guys, this is a musical. <laughs> they sing a song in split screen, which was really distracting. They had the cameras at two angles, and while the song was playing and while the dancers were dancing and whatever, on the other side of the screen is like people talking over it and talking through it, and a song of something about upholstery and sexy i don't know <laughs> it, was, it was weird <laughs> they, they were talking about uh changing the lines a bit so they changed all the references to love like that they're t- um, selling your soul for one true love that that's how the song went in the beginning now it was all about carburetors and a po- <laughs> so it basically tore the heart out of the song that was the, just to show uh what a jackass or what how evil swan was he took the song about love and made it about fixing your car wow i missed that entirely i was too confused by what the crap (laughs) is going on here it was yeah oh my goodness so so (laughs) yeah so now we have the after the devolution of the phantom of the opera and He's he has this like silver and black cloak, and, and I'm so sorry, a really stupid mask. <laughs> that was dumb, right? And his teeth were taken out, but replaced by shiny metal stuff. Mm-hmm. And throughout the rest of the film, you'll see changes in his lipstick and eye makeup. You can't see his eyes. One eye, the mask is broken out, so you can see one eye through the rest of the film. And he has like. Lipstick changes that match his his eye makeup changes of his one eye, and j- just as off putting as he was before, but now it's just a little weirder. <laughs> um, so Swan is um wait no at this point so he puts the time bomb in the trunk of this stupid little prop car right and it blows up. I don't think it actually hurts anyone because you see. The rest of the the juicy fruits, right? Like extras in the rest of the film, so it just like blows off, blows up, and doesn't hurt anyone. But he's going to be the, the phantom, damn it! <laughs> he's gonna put a stop to this, damn it! And Swan is slightly perturbed, as elegant men are when they're <laughs> upset, and and um, so he goes to a like a hidden door behind a mirror, another Phantom of the Opera thing. And um, and also a Dorian Gray thing, which is referenced a lot in the film. And as he's and, uh, the door, Swan accosts him. Yes, yes, grabs him by the throat, and and this poor pathetic guy in like a really dumb mask is gurgling, and because Swan took his voice, his voice was hurt in the right. press. Well, actually, no, he doesn't even say that at that point because he can't say anything. He's, it's all gurgles and gasps because he doesn't have a voice at this point. Um, but Swan convinces him because he is basically the earth representation of the devil. He convinces him that he needs to work for Swan because only then can they actually get Faust um, out there. He's his one chance that we have to work together. We don't want to have all this destructive blowing up the paradise anymore. You got to work <laughs> So, mm-hmm. and then we have the uh, what must have been cutting edge in 1974 with, um, so Swan gives him a voice box. So he has basically he sounds a bit like an angry uh, Stephen Hawking, and he's singing uh, his song. And as he's singing it, uh, Swan is at this 
studio controllers messing with all these dials. And I love the way he in, intones it when he presses it. Dolby. Phil. Oh, no. <laughs> it's very much Little Mermaid when the, when the crab is tuning up the ocean creatures. It's, it's, it was great. It's very much <laughs> a hacker's movie when they talk about, you know, uh, hacking the Gibson or, or something like that or uh, just using all that hacker terminology that sounds very impressive but doesn't really mean anything nowadays. Back in 1974, I imagine Dolby's and filters could probably be used the same way. It's all very technical jargon that could be made to impress. Yes. So Swan used his, used his mixing skills really well while Leach was singing into a synthesizer. So now he's got like a literal voice box, which is... <laughs> and Swan promises that he can use, he can like plug the voice box into this, this, you know, control room and he can sing. He can still sing. He gives him back a voice. So like Winslow will, yeah, wait, sorry. Yeah. Winslow Leach. Winslow is going to have to rewrite the Sonata for Phoenix. Mm -hmm. She's the only one that do her justice. And, and Swan will like play it and they're going to hold it and it'll be done your way, I promise. And so here's the contract. But um, <laughs> just like, just like every devil's contract appears out of thin air and has to be signed in blood. This one is uh, no different. Um, so there's the Faustian contract. And they keep they go over specific uh, clauses. So what does this mean? I, uh, you own everything, and anything you don't own, you actually do own. Oh, that's to protect you. And they go a couple more of those. <laughs> just do. Like, what the? And he does jargon. He's like, oh, that's a transportation clause. Like, <laughs> wow. It's it's like every, like, first day on a new job when they make you sign all those things. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you kind of read half of a thing. You skim it. It's like, though, what? I don't. Okay. <laughs> or is that just me? That could just be me on a first day on the job. When they sign the contracts, oh my goodness! Um, so in the in the auditions, Phoenix does her thing with her signature hair whip, which is what she does with my hair, and um, she just like blows them away. I mean, not necessarily Swan; he's not really blown away, but well, he's I, gonna I, need. Her. I love his. Uh, I love his reasoning there. Oh, she's perfect, but you know how I despise perfection anyone but myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <sighs> so now, um, Leech has nothing to do but write. Just write your little heart out with a candle. While being day after day. A, uh, drugs supplied by Swan. Yep, on a steady supply of breakfast drugs and lunch drugs and dinner drugs. And um, he's locked in the room. Swan checks on him. And the door is unlocked, and then Swan leaves, and the door is locked again. And, um, man. So, this is, this part, okay, this part is very gothic. All the good guys, all the bad guys come together in me now, and all of that, okay. But while this part is happening, and then the sonata, and the, the opera is being made by this genius, um, Swan bogarts it yet again. Oh, oh my gosh, we knew he would. <laughs> and, um, he's... He needs someone to actually sing the lead because he can't have Phoenix do it because she's too good. So he casts around a very stylized manner for the uh, 
actual lead singer and he goes through these bands that just appear out of blackness in front of his humongous record uh silver record desk that's very odd and we see him we see him, we see him. none of the sounds are good enough and then we see the glam rocker and and wow he chose that one <laughs> he went around it was like I was going with him, like, no, pretty, but no, no. And, like, really? You want that one? Oh, my gosh. It was was a thing. (laughs) So he chooses Beef. His name is Beef. Yes. His name is... (laughs) I have to wonder how much of that is um, inspired slash stolen from Meatloaf. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yikes. That... Would be weird. <laughs> I don't think so, right? No. Anyway, beef well, beef was a thing. I mean, out of the he- out of hell was uh, around this time. Okay, all right. I can see how that would that would get. I mean, all of this is before my before my time, and I think this is before your time. Yes, too. yes. But you speak before my time. <laughs> but you speak so knowledgeably of it. I can. I can maybe beef maybe beef was a meatloaf thing. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer meatloaf in a lot of ways. Oh man, beef was just so bad. Oh my gosh. But he was also the most fun person to watch. Well I loved his character. But he was also so he was also rather true to life. I mean he was a parody, yeah, but he was a parody of some very recognizable, very big things in the seventies. This was Gary Glitter. Mm-hmm. Straight up. You, you you could see a dozen beefs um, in the music scene of the 1970s. It was, it was not hard to find something that beef fit. So that, that was a, a good choice. And then, so we have beef, who's chosen, who's now trying to learn the lines that uh, Leach wrote for Phoenix. And he's having trouble because they were written for a woman. And we... Swan uh, says, you're not going to let something rich for a bitch uh, screw you or something along those lines. Basically just putting down all of womankind in that. and Yeah, it's a really clean shot. Just the whole of femininity in their singing. So he's allowed to do whatever spin on it he wants. Right. Which will just, like destroy the entire meaning. The whole point can be lost. That's okay. Make it yours. And, um... Meanwhile, like the the operetta isn't finished yet, so on a strict diet of drugs, you know, the the phantom is getting done. While the um, in my notes I called them gangbangers, but the ones with the black under their eyes, I Which, don't know what. Well, they were actually the juicy fruits. Uh, they went through three. That was the juicy fruits. Yeah, they went through three incarnations. First, they were the juicy fruits. Then they were the beach bombs. Then they were the undeads. This is according to IMDb. Whoa. Okay, I recognize them as the undeads, but I, I did not know that that was them. Um, they're getting ready. They're they're getting bricks and the cement to to um, brick the Phantom in as soon as he's done with the opera. So tensions are mounting, and um, the the line is finished and. And Swan takes it away, and he is bricked the heck in. So, <laughs> and then he's pr- promptly unbricked by himself. This, yeah, he just like blows the whole wall out, sheet metal and everything. <laughs> and 
just by screaming. So Beef says that this place is possessed. Well, he says that after uh, the fan. After tons of cocaine or tons of cocaine. Well, so uh, Beef hears the scream as uh, Winslow finds out that Phoenix isn't seeing the bit and finds out that he's locked in. So he hears the scream and then Philbin tells him, oh, go take a shower to calm down. So he takes a shower after, as he said, doing a lot of cocaine. And then the Phantom comes to him in the shower and says, you're not going to sing that song. If you sing that song, you're going to die. And basically scares the holy heck out of him. At that point, Beef decides to leave. But he's talked back into going through the show by Philbin, who's basically just said, have more drugs. So he has more drugs. And he goes on, because it's right before opening night he goes on he starts singing and he's in the middle of singing when the phantom sends down a lightning bolt which was just so interesting a neon lightning bolt yeah yeah a fluorescent lightning bolt that is on strings and it glides down right to where he is oh man and this is after a uh, kooky or hokey little uh building the frankenstein monster uh theme where they're uh, taking pieces out of the audience and stuff like that, which was yeah, they're dismembering mannequins in the audience, and then they they build beef, who is just so much fun to watch with the glitter and the singing. Does have this? Did you notice the same chords as the Phantom of the Opera? The same you know, one. I'm not that Duh. big of a devotee of the Phantom of the Opera. I mean, I know the story, but I have not actually seen a production all the way through. I have. It was the same chords oh. in the same order, different timing. And if I caught it, then it was not subtle because <laughs> okay. I'm not that. <laughs> but, so it was there. There's references to Frankenstein or Rocky Horror Picture Show, however you want to see it. There's like I, it was just I am the evil you created in like not even passable way. Like he's singing about threatening to screw the entire audience i think but it, it, was, it didn't really carry this in my way of looking at it and um and that's when he dies so now we got to get somebody on stage to pacify these this is this is why i would be afraid to go to a rock paradise man those fans are like rabid <laughs> rabid what the heck so uh, so they shove a, a little woman in a white dress out there, and that usually helps <laughs> people. Um, she sings, our love is an old love, and it's just it's so, so very Phantom of the Opera and all of that. Um, and she is just drunk on the fame. Everyone listen to her sing one freaking song. Just one song. That's all it takes. <laughs> and she owes Swan everything. She'll give him everything. She says that like four times in the movie in a really breathy voice. Really breathy. <laughs> and now we come to the bit where the movie moves to the next level. Because mm -hmm. now that she's high on fame, she is no problem going to bed with Swan. I mean, she didn't want to do that before when that was her way to no. fame. But now that she has it, yay! It's just... Yeah, I know, right? Now, now it's okay. It's, it's that whole story that Arnold Philbin was talking about in the beginning about turning someone into a fame whore. Mm. Um, yeah, so now it's okay. And 
So there is that uh, aforementioned big round bed, and we know that there are cameras because that was uh, the way Leia said that he likes to watch was all being recorded, and we see the phantom on the skylight above the bed, and Swan sees the phantom looking at the uh, closer TV he has, so he sees a phantom watching them, and he likes that, so he goes at it, and they're all kissing each other and this is too much for the phantom to take so he gets a knife and he stabs himself and you think my god is that the end of the movie did the hero die of a broken heart that's the end is this that kind of thing? <laughs> but no yeah. no it turns out next scene we see swan on the roof under an umbrella basically calling uh winslow an idiot because he didn't read the contract thoroughly and he said this contract ends with swan not with you and he pulls the knife out and it turns out the uh, phantom's fine uh and he says okay now you go back to work and if you do anything crazy again you'll never see phoenix again this enrages uh winslow so he grabs knife and he stabs swan and nothing happens and i i love his line there i'm under contract too <laughs> great i enjoyed that very 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 much <laughs> i'm under contract too and we missed the part where the phantom tried to warn um yes phoenix he basically but it was a really it was like the most aggressive threatening warning because i care about you ever <laughs> the thing about this movie is that like in all the rotten tomatoes of which it got 97 percent, by the way and all the Rotten Tomatoes, it kept talking in the IMDb, which it got, what, 7.4? It, you know, it was really uh, liked. Everyone talked about it being a love story. Right. This was not a love story. <laughs> not, there was love nowhere in this story. That is not what that word means. This is a story about ego. I had to say oh. it because the whole film is just, it's... You can't advertise it of what it's not. That was not love. He did not love her. She did not love Swan. There was no love. Okay? He wanted to use her to sing his piece because it was his. Mm -hmm. And that is what ego is. So thank you for letting me have my little piece there. Not a love story. Not. This is I, ego. I, I agree. I agree. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, so because of this, the, the Phantom has to... He, he's not allowed to, you know, run around trying to destroy the paradise anymore. It's, you know, it's all in the contract. Um, but he still has to find a way, a way to not let Faust happen. Um, so he goes into a vault with videos in it, yeah? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, but before that, we find out that Swan is planning to marry uh, Phoenix, at the end mm. of the uh, Faust thing. So that's in the air. And then he goes into the, he breaks into this vault with tons and tons of videos and contracts. And he finds various uh, videos. And one of them is the contract where Swan sold his soul to the devil. Uh, which, this is where the whole Dorian Gray thing uh, ties in. With the most exposition heavy devil I've ever had the pleasure to encounter in my entire life. I mean, I know. <laughs> uh, so he finds out if you destroy the contract, you destroy Swan. You, you destroy his eternal youth. That's what he did the contract for, was to get eternal youth, because he was bummed out about aging. He was about going to kill himself. Then the devil shows says, hey, why don't you sell your soul to me so you can stay um, young forever? 
you'll be dead. You'll be damned either way. So oh, sure, why not? So he signs his name in blood. And then we see other uh, videos. I'm not quite sure why we see these videos in particular, but we see uh, Swan planning with Philbin to kill uh, Phoenix just as soon as they're married, because evidently that will bring in the ratings. That's entertainment, as he puts it. The assassination yes. of a music star like that. Uh, so he, so we know what's going to happen, and the Phantom is running to where he saw, also in the video, where the assassin was setting up his rifle, which is a very odd-looking rifle, in my opinion. Uh, so he's running to stop the assassin. I'm sorry, go ahead. And But saw, you saw all the contracts. There was the Devil and Swan, the Composer and Swan, and... Phoenix also signed away her soul. Like you get to see all the contracts one after the other. Right. So that if he, he, it was all recorded on the same tape. So since he destroyed the tape, everyone will be free. <laughs> they will be. He'll be a hero. Right. And <laughs> and then we get to the what was evidently the l- last number in the whole Faust Cantata, where there is this big stage show of women dressed as scantily clad ravens. I think that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, it's kind of like feather keenies or feather some sort of feather I, and I, and... I, I, They were going for sleazy. They were going for lasciviousness. They were, they were going for that. But all the... Uh, I think it went... Well, yeah. maybe, but all the dancers were wearing what would nowadays be considered granny patties. I, I I came off as like I was watching. It, it's like wow, did they not have a budget for a choreographer? And that's where I left it at. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean they. <laughs> we yeah, that was our own things. That's why we have two co-hosts for the show, so we can notice different things in both comments. So. <laughs> So um, then rising out of the middle of this uh, feather menagerie, we have Swan and, uh, well, so we have Swan and then Phoenix sort of, uh, you know, bouncing her way onto the stage, uh, pretty stoned off her gills, we believe. We have Phil mm-hmm. there dressed as some sort of cardinal. He's officiating the marriage. So they're in the middle of getting married. The assassin is in the middle of getting ready to shoot them. And then the phantom gets in there and he grabs a gun and he causes the gun to kill Philbin instead. And we also, for some reason, which is never adequately explained, uh, Swan was wearing a mask throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Confused. It was planned, but we don't know why yeah. he was wearing a mask. And so <laughs> when, when Swan realizes the plan's going to rise, looking around, looking around and, then there's basically just a riot happening. The uh, crowd surges on, and they're all just going crazy and dancing with the uh, ravens and stuff like that. And in the hubbub, uh, the phantom comes down, and he's going to uh, kill Swan now. But in the hubbub, Swan's mask gets knocked off, and his face is melted, probably because, you know, the fire, yes. the contract and all that. And Phoenix goes, I don't understand, I don't understand. And he goes, your voice. You promised me your voice. And he starts strangling her. And <laughs> Oh my goodness. And that's when like the Phantom swoops in on a rope in true Phantom of the Opera style. It's a total rip. Steals the mask and then he, he lands and he starts plucking all the plumes from the raven dancer's headpieces. And then he stabs them with the plumes. And then everybody, all the um, the Beach Boys. No, no, no. What? 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 
What? No, I have been corrected. Sorry. What happened? Well, no, I don't think he plucked any plumes. <laughs> he stabbed uh, Swan with the beak of the mask, didn't he? No, we're going to agree to this. <laughs> oh, now we need to watch the movie again. <laughs> okay, he stabbed I, by yeah, but he, even related. Yeah, he is, he is stabbed, but then he, I, I, I saw him stab with plumes and then hand him to the, um, the juicy fruits who each took turns stabbing him with plumes. Was that a juicy fruit? I thought it was just a random uh, concert goer. No, they were the, I, I recognized them. Okay. So Not all three. Now that, that one time. <laughs> now that Swan has been stabbed, uh, the Phantom's wound opens up and he's dying and, um, the juicers, I guess, start stabbing Swan as well, because, hey, it's a party. And the crowd of Surge on stage is lifting Swan up so he can't get anywhere. He's being stabbed and a suitably gory theatrical end to the guy. And as Phoenix is backing away in horror, the Phantom is slowly crawling to him. And all that, eventually... She sees that he's a good person just as he dies and cuddles up to his grave. Oh, Winslow, Winslow, Winslow. And that's the end of the movie. Ta-da! <laughs> it was a fun movie. It was a fun... It was, um... And, oh, you were mentioning <laughs> the split screens. That is evidently yeah. a Brian De Palma trademark. He does that in lots of his movies. He loves split screens. Really? That's why he did... That's why that was there. Evidently, uh, you... You can tell a lot of Brian De Palma movies because of the split screens. He really likes that technique. Cool. All right. I like it. Yeah, it was It was good. There were like a million references mm -hmm. inside this one. Most of them I did not get. But the ones that were like, old enough, I did get. I mean, was there, Sorry? Thing, was there something that you recognized as a reference, but you didn't get it? Uh, yeah, I didn't take notes on those. Okay. <laughs> I'm Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I should have. I should have. It's like things I don't understand. I don't know. I thought that would take up too many pages. <laughs> oh man, but it was fun. It was kind of lame, but kind of fun and kind of like um. Let's see, the death record secretary when yeah. when Leech comes and he's like, "Hey, guy took all my music. That was a few months ago." She's wondering how it's doing. She looked through that card index to see what to, to see his name. Did you see the other names on it? No, no, I didn't see their names. What were they? Alice Cooper, <laughs> David Geffen, Bette Midler, Peter Fonda, <laughs> Peter Fonda, sorry, Dick Clark, and Chris Christopherson. <laughs> um, so that was kind of fun. And <laughs> oh man. I, there, yeah, that was a fun movie. It was fun. I don't think it'll go down in history as super original because, again, nothing in it was original. Well, it was, not, it was not intended to be original. I mean, it was intended to be a pastiche. It was a very stylish pastiche, though, so that was something. Um, it, it turns out this movie was originally uh, panned by everybody, but as so many of these cult movies are, it was picked up afterwards. There's evidently, a, I think, a... Phantom of Palooza in Winnipeg. Oh, so what? There is definitely a, a fan base for this film because there are the, there is the occasional convention for it. Wow. 
Um, other movie recommendations. I recommend Still Alive with um, Paul Williams because that it was just a really fun documentary by a very, very amateur documentarian, and it was okay. super fun to watch. Um, I was going to recommend something else. Dang it, but I forget. Ah, I'll think of it, you guys. I'll think of it. But, yeah, it's fun. No, enjoyed it. So, rating-wise, what are we looking at? Um... Let's see. It's not going to haunt my dreams, so that's a plus. <laughs> Your plus and my pluses differ greatly, but anyway. <laughs> it's not... I won't remember it until the day I die, so that's a minus. But let's see. Um, Out of four, I'm going to give it three. I think I'm going to give it three, too. This was... I mean, it wasn't, you know something you could found a religion on but it was a darn good movie it 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 was visually appealing it was stylishly appealing is it was quirky enough so yeah yeah it was quirky i like quirky quirky is good also is weird weird is good (laughs) okay so let's while we're still rolling let's choose a movie for next time which will be in two weeks from the publication of this one why don't we go a bit more current and how we do Mahalan Drive? Ooh, that sounds fun. Let's do that. Let's do Mahalan Drive. So next time will be Mahalan Drive. And for right now, I'm John Robinson. And I'm Catalan Justice. Uh, and saying you can catch us on Facebook at Cinematic Pig's Feet. You can find archives of the show at johnnylemuria.com. You can find us on the Twitter at Johnny Lemuria or at Frenio Logic, which is P-H-R-E-N-O-L-O-G-I-C. You can find us on the Tumblr. You can find us on the Pinterest. You can find us on the Google. Just put it in Cinematic Pig's Feet and you'll find us somewhere. So until next time, stay weird, people, and keep on singing. Stay weird.